I was lucky growing up as a kid on the ranch. My grandparents lived next door. I'd spent a lot of time over there. We got along well. I remember Saturday nights, they'd never miss the Lawrence Welk Show, which at that time was sponsored by Geritol. Years later, I still remember the ads. A middle-aged man in a suit and tie sitting in his living room thinking aloud. I don't know what the matter is with me lately. All I want to do is sit here every night. I'm just too tired to budge. The announcer then says, If tired blood is your problem, feel stronger fast. Take Geritol, the high-potency tonic that begins to strengthen tired blood in just 24 hours. Well, that's what those two goats were like a month ago, sitting around the barn just too tired to budge. So their vet not only prescribed ivermectin that I told you about earlier, but told me to give a daily dosage of something called red cell. Now, that is an iron supplement made for horses. The vet said it will help their anemia. So I reduced the dose to match their body weight, and every night I'd squirt the stuff into the backs of their throats with a syringe. At first, they weren't very happy, but I think they got to like its flavor, yucca, and they don't resist me anymore at all. At the end of the Geritol ad, you see John up dancing with his wife at some club. The voiceover says, In only one day, Geritol iron is in your bloodstream, carrying strength and energy to every part of your body. My goats have reacted just as well. They're running around the mountains, rain or shine. They just stop sitting in the barn feeling sorry for themselves. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson owner of Anashira, I will not tell you that using our soaps will carry strength and energy to every part of your body. But I did receive a couple of photos a few days ago from one of our great customers, Kate, showing a number of people grinning from ear to ear, each of them holding up a bar of soap high in the air, saying, everybody is living clean. We love it. Thank you. She had sent a number of her clients are soap as a gift. So, to you, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. Use our soaps, and I can tell you, you'll probably be grinning from ear to ear and living clean. Stay with me now as we go back to Provence and meet some very unique people in this week's episode of Stories from Anashira. see, when I left you a couple of weeks ago, Dawn and I had just arrived in Provence and got to Villeneuve to Jerry's house. I must admit to a mistake I made. I was sitting listening to the podcast with Dawn. She never knows what it's about until we sit and listen to it together. She heard the part about how we take a taxi from the TGV station over the Rhone River to Villeneuve, about how she sat regally up in the front Ernie, you're so wrong. You sat in the front because the driver only spoke French and you needed to chat with him. You put me in the back with the suitcases with my head sticking out of that window. 
Yeah, she's right. Sorry, Don. No disrespect intended. I do apologize. We had talked before leaving for France. I don't want to go as a tourist, I said to her. I want to find a small town where we can go to the market, sit in the cafes, watch the people, just live. She thought that was a great idea. And that's what we did. So we rode our bikes every day in training for riding the routes of the tour that we would do later. I bought a couple of good road maps of the area and we'd take off every morning after coffee for a training ride through the countryside. I could go on and on about the routes we rode through. Got lost, we'd just head to the Rhone River and go north or south. We'd ride south to Tarascon, north to saint laurent des arbres We'd try to pick a route where we'd ride out into the wind so that it would be at our backs on the way home when we were tired. One thing about the roads of France, they were all perfectly paved. I can't remember seeing a single pothole, and all of them had shoulders with bike lanes marked. We'd generally choose roads that were two lanes, not major arteries. We were out there the first day. Dawn was on my wheel, and we felt a truck slow down behind us. Close. What the heck? Turns out he wasn't trying to harass us. He was just waiting for a safe spot to pass where he wouldn't have to jam us. Don was shocked. He's treating us like we're other vehicles on the road, as if we had a right to use it. Yeah, seems that way. Is that always the case here? I don't think it's always so, but drivers seem more respectful to us. We'd ride pretty hard. When we headed home, we'd celebrate by stopping at some cafe along the way. Sit down outside, drink a coffee, watch the world. We get back to Villeneuve, right up the steep hill of the tower of Philippe le Bel. It felt great to get home. Many of the cafes and restaurants had a bar where they served drinks and coffee. Many of these had big TVs. That first Saturday that we were there, I went looking for a great place to sit and watch the Tour de France. We could have stayed at home and watched it, but Jerry only had a small TV in the kitchen and it seemed kind of antisocial. I wanted to watch in a place surrounded by French people who knew the sport and who would yell at the TV as if they were at the race, as I'd seen in Italy when they watched the Giro d'Italia. I found a small place off of the downtown square called La Place. Nothing elegant at all. A bar with stools, maybe eight tables, no street seating. But it had a nice big TV and a decent atmosphere. I explained to the owner as well as I could that my wife and I would be in town for a few weeks and were looking for a bar where we could watch the Tour de France every day. He seemed to understand. Could we watch it here? Mais certainement, monsieur, pas de problème. Of course, monsieur, no problem. The tour is broadcast every day on French TV, too. Live, commercial free. So we'd walk down about one o'clock to La Place. We'd have the daily copy of L'Equipe, which is a French nationwide daily sports newspaper, which has a, ah, four to six pages of detailed coverage, including standings, lists of teams and riders, 
details on each stage, the route, the amount of climbing, everything. We'd sit down at a table in front of the TV, spread out our stuff, order a coffee or beer, and settle in. One thing was strange. There were no French people watching with us. I didn't see them here and not in any other bars. People would be at the bar, some eating, many drinking. They might glance at the race or watch it for a minute or two, but no one sat down to watch with any real interest. I found that very odd. But it was easy. People at first would look at us strangely. Then they got used to seeing us there. There were a couple of drunks who'd wander in for a glass of rosé fairly regularly. For some reason, they'd sit down next to me and have a conversation. That's a story of my life. It happened to me in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, everywhere. I think they found me of interest because I'd stare at their mouths intently as they spoke, trying to understand as much as I could. They would mistake that for my being interested in their tales. Well, we'd head home after the race, rest for a while, and walk back down to the square to one of the restaurants and eat dinner there. And we'd been in Villeneuve for three days, and the owner of the house, Jerry, shows up. He is a real unique individual. You don't mind if I sleep downstairs, do you? No, not at all, Jerry. I'll be in and out if you don't mind. No, that's okay, Jerry. You don't mind if I use the kitchen now and then, do you? No, Jerry, that's fine. You're happy. We're happy to have you around. So Jerry explains that the main weekly market, downtown market, is on Thursdays in Market Square. Get there early if you want the best selection. Now, there is nothing in the world like a weekly market in a town in France. We went there early. There's a cafe on the edge of the Market Square. We sat and had a coffee, ate a croissant, pain au chocolat. You know, if I come back in another life and would marry someone other than Dawn, it would be a French woman who owned a boulangerie. That's for sure. Yeah, I had been to markets in countries around the world, but this was the best one I'd ever seen. Stalls with olives. Dozens of different kinds of olives. Stalls with cheeses. All kinds. Roquefort. Camembert. Great cheeses. Goat cheeses. Sheep milk cheeses. And stalls of pottery. Stalls of kitchen utensils. Ones with fruits, dozens of different fruits, all ripe. I buy a melon here, and I have to plan on letting it ripen. And guess when it's going to be good to eat? Not at that market. Stalls of vegetables. Oh, the eggplants and the squash and the potatoes. We were in awe. I didn't want to act like a tourist in Provence, but I walked around with my mouth hanging open. Oh, the sausages, small, big, medium, hanging, laying down. A stall of baskets, the kind you see French people walking around with. Those were the first two things we bought to carry our stuff. And you know, we still have them today, have them in our car, use them. Did I mention the seafood? One of the largest places. 
fishes, scallops, oysters, crabs, mussels, on and on. The owner told me that everything had been purchased at the harbor on the Mediterranean that day before dawn. Our favorite was the narrow trailer that had a wall of gas burners, vertical, with rotisseries of chickens and rabbits. We could smell them cooking from hundreds of feet away. I have never figured out how the French make a simple roasted chicken taste so delicious. And below the chickens were kilos of small potatoes cooking in the same heat with the fat from the chickens and garlic seasoning them. So we bought chicken and potatoes and so many things that Don said, Ernie, we don't have to get everything today. We'll be back. Oh, did I tell you about the spices? Literally hundreds. Do you want some razal hanout? The owner will make it up for you on the spot. Want 50 grams? 100 grams? A kilo? C'est pas de problème. Not a problem. As we left, I see a stand for knife sharpening. I asked how long it took. Less than 10 minutes per knife. I'll have them before you leave. Now, Jerry's knives were dull, and he had no whetstone. They'd come down with us next week. I didn't tell you much about Jerry. We learned more every time we sat down for a coffee or a glass of wine. Jerry had grown up in San Antonio, fond of films all his life. He moved to Europe after a graduate degree in film and television from Northwestern. In the early 70s, he lived in Denmark, Spain, and Italy. He worked in international schools, was a teacher, wrote a couple of novels, became a film critic, for a magazine in London. He became a friend of the director, Agnès Varda, in California when he was out there trying to sell a book he'd written. He went to a lot of film festivals all over Europe and in 1982 went to the Cannes Film Festival and was very disappointed. I was having lunch with Agnès, complaining how cold, unfriendly, and undemocratic Cannes was. And she said, stop complaining and do something of your own. And he did. That was the beginning of the Avignon Film Festival. Of course, we didn't know any of this when we first met Jerry. He showed up out of the blue the afternoon after we'd first gone down to the market. Hey, you guys want to go out to dinner with me and some friends? We'll go have the best pizza in Provence. He was totally excited and energetic. While we wait, let's play some boule. Ever played petanque? It, it is a perfect game for two or three or four or a bunch of people, especially on a warm early evening in July in southern France. We go out to the wide area, sort of like a sidewalk, but crush rocks in front of his home. Jerry produces a bottle of Ricard, pastis, that's often drunk as an aperitif. Three glasses and a pitcher of water. He pours a good shot of pastis in the glass, adds some cool water, watch it cloud up, and voila, you know you're in France. And this game is pretty simple. One person throws a small steel ball, they call it a cochonette, a piglet, or simply a coche, throws it about six to ten meters away, and that's the target. 
Then each player who has several larger steel balls attempts to deliver his ball closer to the piglet. It spawns lots of discussions, laughter, and of course, drinking. The team or person with ball or balls closest to the piglet gets a point for each. And this was a start of a tradition for the three of us that didn't end until over three years later. So after a couple of hours, we jump in Jerry's vintage Peugeot station wagon, very vintage, and head to a place called Le Bercaille, a beautiful restaurant on the river, directly across from Avignon. It's a popular place, gorgeous night, stars out. We're sitting outside on this beautiful deck. We meet Jerry's friends, and we're at a long table drinking rosé. Rosé is incredibly popular and delicious in Provence on hot summer nights and afternoons and sometimes even mornings, and it's incredibly reasonably priced. So Jerry's festival had ended in June, and they talked about how, how successful it had been. Jerry points across a river to a bridge. It's lighted. It's really actually only a part of a bridge. That's the famous Pont d'Avignon, the Bridge of Avignon. Ah, yeah, it's beautiful. Do you know the famous song, Sur le Pont d'Avignon, on the Bridge of Avignon? I think I remember it from my high school French class. Can you hum a few bars? Sure. Jerry starts to sing softly. Sur le pont d'Avignon. And then louder. On y danse, on y danse. And then his friends begin to join in. Sur le pont d'Avignon. On y danse, tous en rond. It's crazy. People from neighboring tables have jumped in. Everybody's starting to jump in, but he's joining in. Les bons monsieur font comme ça. More people, waiters, standing behind Jerry. He's up with them, arms around each other. Et puis encore comme ça. For the chorus, everyone joins in. Even the cooks have their heads out of the kitchen. Sur le pont d'Avignon. Don looks at me like I'm crazy, like we're all crazy. Oni danza, oni danza. It's loud. It wells out over the river. Do you have this picture? Well, I'm just kidding. I look at Jerry. I sort of remember that song. I never liked that song, he says. Could have happened. That place and view were so beautiful. So like every dinner we had there with any people, it lasted for a long time. And we got home late. In front of the stairs to Jerry's front door, he had a trellis with grapevines, like an arbor, about eight feet tall, maybe 15 feet long. The whole area was shaded. In the shade, he had a long table, maybe the same length. You could sit a lot of people out there. He entertained a lot. Said he'd had, had over 100 people for there during dinner several times during his festivals. We'd gone for our morning training ride, been to La Place to watch the daily stage of the tour, and we're relaxing outside with Jerry. Have I told you about Sam Fuller, the film director, he said? No, not yet. Well, Samuel Fuller 
the director, came often to the Avignon Film Festival. He had been writing his autobiography. He and his wife, Krista, asked Jerry to help co-edit the book. Fuller spent two months living there with Jerry working on the book. When Fuller got sick, Jerry and Krista took what he had written and went through it. We brought all the details in focus and made it into a clearer book. He handed me a book, A Third Face, My Tale of Writing, Fighting, and Filmmaking. And that was it. I sat down that afternoon to read the book. Fuller is known for his gritty, uncompromising work. His frank, violent realism has won him an international cult following. The book was great, an inspiring tale of a remarkable life. In Jerry's library to the left as you enter his long hallway are hundreds, maybe thousands of DVDs of movies. We started watching Fuller's movies at night. The Steel Helmet, Park Row, Feboten, Pick Up on South Street. Through that book and those films, I got to know Sam Fuller and his work better. I also got to know and appreciate Jerry. We haven't even got into the second week of the Tour de France, and I have to say adios to you. It's getting dark, and I have to go feed those goats. If I don't, they'll stand on the top of the ridge complaining to the whole neighborhood. Well, today is the last day of fall. Finally, the nights start getting shorter. I want to thank our sponsor, Anashira, the maker of fine, unique goat milk soaps. The kind of soap you want to lather up with on these cold winter nights. Go to Anashira.com. Purchase your soaps. And enter their new discount code, LATECHRISTMAS17. Yes, that's right. If you haven't bought your soaps yet, You are too late for Christmas or Hanukkah, but we're a kind organization, so we made an allowance for those procrastinators out there. Enter discount code LATECHRISTMAS17 altogether, and you'll get a 17% discount. And if you haven't subscribed to our monthly newsletter yet, please do so. If you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe later. So I wish you all a great holiday season. Oh, I got a great present myself this week. Earlier this month, I'd got a summons for jury duty. I had to call in after 6 p.m. on Thursday. My duty started on Friday. So I moped around and stewed about how I'd get selected for some murder trial and have my holidays ruined, even though Clifton said, You will enjoy it. It's your civic duty. So I called in at 6 p.m. and got a recorded messages. All groups are released. Woohoo! I guess no judges wanted to start a trial just before Christmas. Thank you, judges. Folks, thanks for listening. Come back in two weeks and I'll tell you more about life in Provence in my next episode of Stories from Anashiro.